Well, I would like to say that yesterday Sue and I observed excellence in athleticism. <laughs> I, I would really like to be able to say that, but come on. Whoa. Uh, no, but it, you had your moments. You had your moments. It was pretty brilliant at times. Uh, but some things confused me a bit. The, um, you know, the, the encouragement talk was, was a li- little bit unusual. Uh, for example, uh, I'm not sure what pretty eyes means. I think the best I can figure out is it's, it's like a really positive spin on good eye. So good for you. That's good. Um, something I found a little confusing and disturbing was optimism is your friend. Now, you know, I don't know if you got that off a bumper sticker or it's from the Bible, you know, somewhere. I don't know, but if I was up to bat, I wouldn't find that very helpful. But it it was amazing, you know, there was a difference between the two games. Not all of you watched, you know, both games, but the, the little legends and the marauders it was like a war of attrition. You really battled it out there. It was close. But on the other field, those lions, I know the lions, you know, they had a cheer and they growled. Maybe that's why they did so well. But, I mean, they, they like mauled and devoured those purple guys like, like, like crushed grapes. It, it, it was like a train wreck. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't look away. I couldn't look away. I wanted to. And then you tell me that the purple team won last time. I don't, under, I don't understand that at all. Wow. It's great to be with you on campus here. And Sue and I were doing a New Testament synthesis t- uh, together after this. I, that'll be great. Looking forward to that. Let's turn the page in Psalms to Psalm 128. We looked at 127 yesterday. Let's look at Psalm 128 right now. We've been with ABWE 25 years, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, also known as Across Borders for World Evangelism. Two names. I believe in you. Sue and I, we are here because we love what you're doing. We love your commitment to studying the Bible, preparing for ministry, having godly friends together like this. May the Lord bless you in every way. With ABWE, we work in something like 75 countries plus more countries which have limited access or are closed countries. You know what I mean? Muslim countries, stand countries, North African countries. There's a lot out there. I encourage you to pick up our prayer card, email me, uh, email Sue, Facebook, things like that. We can be a resource of information and connections for you now and into your future. When we first went to the Middle East, to Israel, we thought, well, what can we do? And we first formulated plans that, well, we'll, we'll go there, we'll maybe live on a kibbutz, we'll tell people about Jesus, and maybe, maybe over the decades, somebody might come to faith in Jesus. That's about what we thought. Then we gradually thought, well, maybe we can start a church. And we really thought if we can do that once in a full career, that would be amazing. 
But the Lord opened the doors in ways that we couldn't have imagined. We couldn't have strategized. And we have seen a church planted and another one and another one and another one. Sue discipled a young Israeli believer woman to the place where she wanted to be a sent one. And so our Jerusalem church gathered together enough money and resources and they sent her to Mexico to be a shaliach, they say in Hebrew, a sent one for four years in Mexico and then back to report to the congregations in Israel. Yes, it was token, but it was very, very symbolic of what the world of missions should be all about, continually passing on the baton and gathering believers together, starting churches and sending out new people. We now have a purpose statement in Israel and our whole region in Eastern Europe to facilitate a church planting movement leading to a missions movement in every country of our region. In our ABW region, we were just there last week in Bulgaria. We gathered with 130 ABWE personnel and we are working potentially in 33 countries all the way from the Baltic, Latvia, countries like that, and Russia and Poland, all the way down through the Mediterranean into Israel. We want to be functioning in every country of that region by 2020. That's only eight more years. Right now, we're only in about half of those countries. So there's a lot of work to be done. Psalm 128 is a song of a sense. The people sang this psalm as they walked up to Jerusalem three times a year for the high holy days. And this psalm teaches us what a blessed person looks like. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. In in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So what does a blessed person look like? Are you a blessed person? Do you want to be a blessed person under the sovereignty of the holy God of heaven. First of all, a blessed person is somebody who fears the Lord. And I think there's a real difference sometimes between a church member, a church person, a Christian, a believer, and somebody who really fears the Lord, who has a heart of submission to the God of heaven. This person will be truly holy and he will be truly happy. In Israel, a few years ago, I was invited by the Messianic movement to march in the annual Jerusalem Day Parade. The Messianic community was extended a, a very careful invitation again to have a maximum of 70 people in the Jerusalem Parade. Thousands of people usually march in the parade, the, the army, air force, navy, of course, and then the unions, the post office, the um, teachers' union, uh, some foreign countries, things like that. It's a lot of fun. And the Messianics always ask if they can be in this. Messianic is from the Hebrew Meshachim, which means the Messianics, which also means the Christians. 
Christ is Messiah. It's just Greek to Hebrew. But most Israelis are very, very leery of these Meshachim. They're like traitors. What, you're, you broke the line of Judaism. You've betrayed us. You follow this Nazarene who's not really a Jew. So I marched in the parade and I saw the humility of the Messianics. As we marched, we had to have soldiers alongside us because the crowd, they were throwing things. And at the front of our group, there was a whole row of young moms pushing baby buggies, a whole row of them. Their baby buggies out in front. What incredible humility. It really represented to me the fear of the Lord. They didn't fear men. They feared God, and they thought, we need to be out doing this. And they had a huge blue and white banner in the front, and it said, Yeshua Chai, Jesus lives. And they used the right name for Jesus, not Yeshu, which is like a swear word. They used his real name, Yeshua, which means salvation. And the crowd, as we marched along for about two hours, consistently shouted back at us, Yeshu Met, Yeshu Met which is a derogatory word for Jesus. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. And yet we had this huge banner, Yeshua Chai, Jesus lives. And I saw such joy among the Israeli believers. What a privilege to march with them. They had many, many more who would have marched in, but we could only take 70. One of our young Israeli pastors, his name is Suri El. He loves the Lord. He is an army officer, he has a lovely wife, he has four children, a couple more on the way, twins. And Suriel is a very humble man. He's, if he was here, he'd be the quietest guy in the room. But you know, he is a good pastor. He never went to Bible college, never will. And it was Sue who, as we had this church plant going, she said, what about him as pastor? So we worked with him for a number of years, the day came where we laid hands on him and we made him the pastor, age 27. And there is a hum- humble spirit about him that is so necessary in, for pastoring in these difficult places. Are we asking the Lord for wisdom and discernment to see what God wants us to be and to see a truly humble spirit in people? If you're looking for someone to disciple, Look for somebody who's truly humble before the Lord. And our young ladies, you might think, well, I don't know, you know, I can't be a pastor. I don't know if I'll be a sent one. All of your life, something you can do is disciple somebody. You can always disciple. When you're in missions, you're far from home, something to write home about, something that you can do all of your life to have one or two or three or five people you're always working with. Secondly, a blessed person is someone who obeys the Lord. Verse 1, this person walks in his ways. In Hebrew, they have a word, lelechet. And another form of this word is halacha, which all Israelis know. It means walking or to walk. You see, Israelis, when they find out we're kind of spiritual people, they don't care much about what we believe. Evangelicalism functions very much on the foundation of what do you believe? But in the East, the traditional Eastern Christian religions, Islam, Judaism, they want to know, what do you do? What do you do? And Israelis ask, okay, you you fear God. Do you light candles on Shabbat? Do you keep Shabbat? 
do you eat chazir, which is pig? That is one of the first questions they will always ask. And they don't have Hebrew words for bacon or pork. They simply say, do you eat pig? They really want to know that. And for some of these reasons, many of the Messianics keep kosher. Not for theological reasons, but for social reasons. And they want to know how you live and what you do. Do you, do you nail up the little mezuzah on your doorpost like it's written in the Torah? What do you do? And I think that we can learn as evangelicals some lessons from this. How do we live our lives? Are we merely satisfied and contented that we've got our doctrine all, all in order? Or do we examine how we live? Obedience to God. Fear God and then have obedience to God. Are we making that transition? Years ago, I became youth pastor at a, at a large church, and I was a little surprised and a little alarmed when I realized that the office assistant who had his desk outside my office was mentally handicapped. And I wondered about this. I kind of thought, why is he here? Is he capable? But I soon realized that this young man really, really loved the Lord. And he lived a pure life, and he loved to work, and he was one of the greatest blessings around that church that we could ever have because he was a, a man who obeyed the Lord. I once knew a, a pastor. He was from New Brunswick. And he was such a godly man. Um, he met Sue when Sue was a brand new believer at university. He baptized Sue. He looked after us all of the rest of his life. He was always interested and concerned with us. He, he was at the airport when we first went to Israel. He flew to Israel to visit us. And when he died talked to his son, and his son told me, you know, dad always spent at least one hour a day with his Bible and in prayer. He said, in all my life, I never, ever miss seeing him do that. Not that we want to get pulled into legalism, but here was a man who decided for him that was how he was going to do it, and his life showed that obedience. Thirdly, a blessed person has been providentially given self-reliance. Verse 2, you will eat of the labor of your hands. It is not by coincidence or luck that Christianized culturally Christian countries are more prosperous often than other countries because our worldview will determine to a very large extent our prosperity level. 3,000 years ago, this really mattered. People had to raise their own crops. They had to make their own clothes. They had to work hard. And they had to have independence. It was very, very dangerous to owe anybody anything. We live in a fallen world. The Bible does not promise a life of ease without pain and without trials. But here we have a double promise that the Lord will give to believers something meaningful to do and the capacity to do it. We had a young man in our youth group when I was a youth pastor. His name was Patrick. And he was quiet, he was diligent, and we had our own summer camps. And I think it's still kind of a joke. He's a middle-aged man now, but he won Camper of the Week four years in a row because the counselors all voted for him. We saw Patrick a few weeks ago. He, he wanted to tell us something. And he had his wife there and his children, and he said... I want to tell you, I'm really, really happy. The Lord has blessed me so much. I, I really love my wife. I love my children. He owns a car dealership. 
He said, I'm very blessed. We've tr- we travel the world. We give. The Lord has really blessed me. And he seemed like almost amazed by his own words. But that is what I see as a t- person truly blessed. Hard work with an attitude of independence from God will leave you empty. But hard work with an attitude of dependence on the Lord will fulfill you. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. It's written in the New Testament. We sang that song this morning, and uh, I remember the first time I ever heard that song was at a funeral for Jane Bahula, ABW missionary with her husband Tim to Trinidad, doing a very good job. She was feeling sick in Trinidad, just didn't feel well. Came back to Canada and within a few months uh, realized she had cancer and died. And I went to the funeral in Stony Creek Baptist Church in London. The place was packed. Every seat was taken. People standing all around the sides, at the back, in the hallways, in the doorways. And the funeral started with the casket. Her husband, Tim, Jane was still in her 30s when she died. Six little children crossed the front. And they sang, He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the whole place just sang with one voice. Powerful. I had come in late and I was on the edge and it was a young man in a black suit. I could tell he worked for the funeral home. He came over to me and said, I haven't been to many funerals, but I don't understand what's going on. And I told him what's going on is these people really, really trust God for their whole lives. And they're very blessed people. And Jane went to her heavenly reward a little early. Fourthly, a blessed person will have a legacy. We have had to study Jewish values. There's some overlap with evangelical values, but their values are a little different. They value education. They value wealth. They value scripture. They value having a profession. And of course, they value family. And it's written here in the psalm that this person who's blessed, what it looks like is a wife and children sitting around the table, The wife is compared to a fruitful vine. His children are like olive sprouts. What a picture of contentment, of joy, of a God-fearing person being blessed. Vines and olive sprouts are very tender. If they are left on their own, they will not produce fruit. They will go wild. Like people. People need to be supported, encouraged, protected, and nourished. A great metaphor here. Now, I know you might be saying, whoa, I'm not ready to imagine myself sitting at a table with a lot of children and all that. But you know, the, f- the fact is that in the next 10 years, most of you will probably get married and the Lord will bless you in many ways. There's already too much pain and divorce and tragedy in families in Canada today. If we look to the Bible, how God wants us to live our lives and how God wants us to conduct our relationships we will receive greater blessing. Fifthly, a blessed person will understand God's plan of redemption. And this means, in understanding God's plan of redemption, understanding the place of Israel in God's plan of redemption and the place of the Jewish people in the mind of God. And this psalm finishes with a fourfold blessing on this God-fearing, blessed 
person. It's written, the Lord bless you out of Zion. This is a very, very unusual blessing, and it represents the special grace of the Lord. The Lord loves the land of Israel. The Lord loves Jerusalem. Now, I have heard believers say, even Baptist believers, evangelical believers say, oh, no, no, I am not a Zionist. And that has become very popular. I am not a Zionist. Even though, you know, Winston Churchill said six times publicly in his career, I am a Zionist. And when Israel was born in 1948, he wrote a letter to Chaim Weizmann saying, I was with you at the cradle, meaning the Balfour Declaration 1917, when the British government declared that they wanted to facilitate a Jewish homeland in Palestine. And the British helped to make that happen. Being a Zionist is not such a scary thing, but it involves two things. First of all, believing that the Jewish people are still God's chosen people. And secondly, believing that the Jewish people have a divine right to live in the land of Israel. Now, is that so radical? Is that so hard? Well, if, if you're a Muslim, it's hard. If you believe in replacement theology, it's pretty much impossible to say that. But there it is. In the next psalm, it's written, may all who hate Zion be put to shame. God doesn't give a huge, wide, gray area, no man's land here. You either support the concept of Zionism or you hate the concept of Zionism. It's written in Psalm 135, the Lord lives in Jerusalem. And the Lord has chosen his people, the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob to be the chosen people. And we read in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 that Gentile believers are grafted into the stock of Israel and we partake of those blessings. I never tell anybody I'm Jewish. I don't pretend to be Jewish. I don't seek to be Jewish. I am a Germanoid Gentile believer by God's grace grafted into the stock of Israel. And I know that. The Arab nations are in a rage, an uproar, as it's written in the second psalm about this. But you know, God did not leave them empty. God gave to the descendants of Esau and Ishmael many, many blessings and much, much more land than he gave to the Hebrew people. But this little piece of land, Eretz Israel, was given to the Jewish people. Beware, if somebody says to you, uh, well, you know, all who believe in Jesus are now God's chosen people. Be very wary. If someone says to you, the land of Israel is given to all the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Be very careful because these concepts are not what the Bible is teaching. The Lord has promised to keep Israel and the Lord has promised to keep his word. Secondly, May you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. In the year 2000, at Camp David near Washington, D.C., President Bill Clinton met with Prime Minister Ehud Barak of Israel and Yasser Arafat of the Palestinian Lib Liberation Organization. And Ehud Barak shocked the meeting by rolling out a series of maps and saying, we will give the Palestinian liberation organization, 97% of the West Bank, 
all of Gaza Strip and half of Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount. Bill Clinton couldn't believe his good fortune. With six months to go, he might actually have a legacy in world diplomacy. To everyone's shock, Yasser Arafat examined the proposal and walked out of the room saying, if I can't have it all, I'm not going to take half of it. And so it didn't work. And two months later, in September, the second intifada erupted across Israel, which lasted for three years with bombings and killings almost on a daily basis. But the Lord spared Israel. To people singing this song and marching up to Jerusalem 3,000 years ago, they prayed and hoped that Jerusalem would be secure and prosperous every year when they came to visit for the holidays. Jerusalem means something to the heart of God. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Nehemiah wept over Jerusalem. One of my favorite people in the 20th century in Jerusalem was a man named Ronald Stores. When the British marched in in 1917, they set up Ronald Stores to be the governor of Jerusalem. He was a pastor's son from England, an evangelical. He loved the Jewish people. He was a Zionist. And he served in that job for a number of years. But the British back in London, they were getting worried because he was so pro-Jewish. And so they sent him a letter saying that he was going to be removed as governor of Jerusalem. But don't worry, they wrote, you will get a promotion, we'll move you back to London. Well, he wrote a letter back and he wrote this, there is no promotion after Jerusalem. They, they fired him anyway, but he made his point. He said, what could be better than this? The third blessing, yes, may you see your children's children. You know, in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, in Jewish thinking, God's blessing is just not some cloudy thing we feel. God really blesses. And one of the ways he blesses is by allowing people to see their children having children of their own. The Lord is interested in these things. He's interested in the physical things of your life. He's interested in making you happy. My parents a few weeks ago had their 60th wedding anniversary. Incredible. You know, and the Lord allowed them to be married 60 years in pretty good health. And there they had their children's children's children, three little great-grandsons that were kind of crawling around and running around. What a blessing. It's undeserved, but it's a blessing. That's what the grace of God is. So may you have an incredible legacy. May you be involved in things that are bigger than you, to be used of God and to be blessed of God. May you do things that live on after you, physically and spiritually. May you have a spiritual heritage. The last blessing is peace be upon Israel. This is a prayer that Israel will have peace. What use is anything if Israel doesn't have peace? And Israel has seen little peace for 3,000 years. In biblical times, they rarely went more than one generation without peace. The British were there for 31 years, 1917 to 1948. They lost on average two soldiers a day through bombings and snipings. In modern times, Israel can't go 10 years without a war. 1948, War of Independence. 56, War in the Sinai. 1967, the Six-Day War. 1973, Yom Kippur War. 1981, War with Lebanon. 1991, Gulf War against Iraq. 2000, the Second Intifada. 
2007 war with Lebanon. Now, the greatest threat of all, according to Benjamin Netanyahu, Iran, which is on the verge of having nuclear capability and a delivery system. God keeps Israel in the vice grip so that they will turn to him. And with our ministry there, we are seeing Israelis turn to the Messiah of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. 20 years ago, there were maybe 3,000 Israeli believers in about 30 congregations. Now there are 12 to 14,000 in about 120 congregations. The remnant from the book of Romans is being expanded. But real peace to Jerusalem will only come when Messiah returns and sets up his kingdom. The nation of Israel will look upon them whom they have pierced. They will weep. They will enter the kingdom under God's grace. The conclusion of the matter is this. Fear the Lord. Obey the scriptures. Expect the Lord's blessing. I want to finish with a fourfold blessing upon each of you here. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all of your days. May you, may you see your children's children and may peace be upon Israel. Father in heaven, thank you for these excellent students, for their heart after you. You know their spirits, Lord. I ask that these blessings would come true in their lives and in every way upon them. And I ask your blessing to flow on this school for the years ahead. We thank you, Lord, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.